Um, my name is Dan Talcott, for those of you I don't know, and it is my privilege to be here with you. Um, I am Katie's husband, and I benefit from this ministry greatly because of the benefit in her life, um, and she's a better wife and mom because of this study. Uh, not only that, but because I'm friends with uh, your spouses and your kids, and um, I benefit from this church, and you guys are faithful members of this church, or my Sunday, the Sunday school teachers for my kids, so thank you very much for all that you do here, and I'm really excited about this morning. I hope you are. I know you've already had um, a lot of good time together in the Word. Let's pray, and we're going to get into it. Our Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity to look at your Word. We thank you for the uh, clarity of your Word, and that you have told us what we need to know, all things for life and godliness. And uh, I pray that you would work through me this morning, and even edit my my plans, and might it be what's most helpful to us as a whole. Well, I just thank you again for these ladies and their commitment to you and to this church. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, well, my understanding of our purpose is we're tracing the thread of redemption through the Bible, the whole Bible. And so where we're at this morning is um, we are in the New Testament, right? We're in Acts. And so we know from the very beginning, from Genesis 3, that the curse is going to be reversed, right? There was going to be one who was going to crush the head of the serpent, and he was going to reverse the curse. And that hasn't happened yet in the Acts, right? Jesus has come, Jesus has died, Jesus has rose again. And yet we're in this time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, this church age. The, uh, the purpose of Acts, I wrote down what one, one author said, and he said, it's the Acts of the Lord Jesus through his people by the Holy Spirit for the accomplishments of God's purposes. That's pretty straightforward. It's the acts of Jesus through his people by the Holy Spirit for the accomplishment of his purposes. We're going to see that worked out as we talk through today's lecture. It's acts is primarily descriptive, right? It's a narrative. He's telling a story. It's not primarily prescriptive or telling us exactly how we need to live. However, it does do that, and there's much to learn from it. It's just a good reminder of what we're looking at. Okay, where are we in Acts? In Acts, we've seen the church spread initially at Jerusalem, right? It went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and now it's going to the Gentiles. And Paul has already been on his first missionary journey and his second missionary journey. He went a little ways on his first one and a little bit further on his second one, right? And the expansion of the church. So what's going on in this third missionary journey? Okay, well, I would tell you, let's open our Bibles, let's get to Acts 18, and let's look at what he's doing, what's the purpose, what's going on in this missionary journey. Let's see, I can, I can see my clock. I'm good. Um, so Acts 18, verses 22 and 23, and it says this, When he had landed at Caesarea... He went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And Antioch's kind of his hub, right? That he's the, Outside of Jerusalem, Antioch's the next hub that he's launching from. So verse 23 of chapter 18, After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Ferga, strengthening all the disciples. So if you look at the map, how many of you all have looked at the maps while you've been studying the book of Acts? Anybody? Okay, if you have it, man, you have to. It's fascinating. Look at the geography. Look at where Paul is going. Let's do that now. If your Bible has maps in the back, I want you to turn to them. 
And if it has a map that overlays the missionary journeys of Paul, it's like one, two, and three, kind of his different missionary journeys, you'll see the map of his second missionary journey and his third missionary journey are actually really, really close. They really overlap a lot. He's actually going back to a lot of the same spots that he's already been. He's not necessarily planning a lot of new churches in this missionary journey. He's going to strengthen those existing churches. He goes, he goes up through Galatia and Asia and our modern-day Turkey. Then he goes over into Greece, through Macedonia into Greece and Athens and Corinth. And then he comes back, and he's going to hit all those same places. Okay, good. Everybody's looked at their map. They know the geography. So what's this third missionary journey? A, he is going to strengthen his, these disciples, these churches that he's already planted. And then B, you know this from your, lect- or from your lesson, that he was going to bring a collection to the Jews in Jerusalem. Both 1 Corinthians and Romans talks about how he's collecting money along his route to bring back to Jerusalem. The, the Jews in Jerusalem, they had lost their homes. They had lost their friends and their families and their jobs. They were destitute. And so Paul is uh, gathering this collection. It doesn't say it explicitly in Acts 19 and 20, but that's also a purpose of what he's doing and making his way back and trying to get to Jerusalem. Sound good? All right, we got our intro done. Here we go. So, I am going to frame the rest of our conversation around seven words. Seven words that, that I think describe what Luke is trying to communicate with chapters 19 and 20 in the book of Acts. And what is the theological point? What, how, is the, how does this connect to the thread of redemption? I'm gonna, we're going to work through it very, very quickly and pull out seven words. Can we do that? First word, purpose. The, for, if, for those of you who like to take notes, you can write these, these seven words down. For those of you who don't, you can just sit back and let the Holy Spirit speak to you through his word. But number one, purpose. God's purposes should be our purposes. God's purposes should be our purposes. Now, if we go back to Acts chapter 1, and you don't have to turn there because you all have this memorized probably, but at the beginning of Acts, Luke kind of lays out what, what the rest of the book is going to be, right? So in verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, they, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, which basically means... Uh, uh, not yet, right? It's not going to come in its fruition yet, but that's coming. But you, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then that's what we see worked out in the book of Acts, right? We see it go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So I'm going to assert to you that that is the main purpose of the church, and that is the main purpose of what's going on in the entirety of the book of Acts. Paul is the instrument of God being his witness, as we saw in Acts 1, okay? Well, my, my old pastor at my last church, Pastor MacArthur, he used to say that that is the primary reason we've been left here on earth, is to make disciples or to be witnesses, right? Think about this, and we talked about this in the the class I led on Wednesday nights not too long ago. Everything that you do in the Christian life, loving people, serving people, worshiping God, you're going to do perfectly, and you're going to do better in heaven. God could have made it so that once you were saved, boom, you went straight to heaven. He could have done that. Once you believe and repent, boom, you're in heaven. And if he did, you would do everything that you do perfectly. You would do it better than you do today. You would worship, you would serve, you would love. But the only thing you're not going to do in heaven 
is make disciples, right? The only thing you're not going to do in heaven is to be witnesses to unbelievers. And that's the main purpose and the mission of the church. Uh, and so my, my assertion, as you, as, you, as you go through even the entirety of the book of Acts, and I, I make this point first because I think this is the main point of what's going on, is that our purposes should be God's purposes. So I had to look at my life this week as I thought about this passage and say, uh, are, are God's purposes my purposes? Is, is what he's doing in making disciples, is that what my life is about doing? And how have I organized my life? How have I structured my life? How have I made my goals to be aligned with his goals? More on that to come. But God's purposes should be our purposes. And that's what he's accomplishing here. Okay, back to Acts chapter 19. Go back to Acts chapter 19. We are going to start, at the beginning of this, we've got Paul and Ephesus. And my next word, my second word is boldly. That's the way in which we witness. Boldly, that's the way in which we witness. You look here, and the first thing that happens is these people have received baptism into John the Baptist's baptism. It's like a little confusing, like what's going on? Well, they, they believed, but in verse 4, he says, And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And they were about 12 men in all. This is unifying the experience of these people here in Ephesus with the other people that have already come in the book of Acts. Did we see, the Holy, did we see them baptized and the Holy Spirit come upon them? Yes. And in the same way, it's happening to the people here in Ephesus, right? God's purposes, our purposes, that's what he's doing. But if you look at the next verse, it says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So how was Paul a witness? Paul is a witness by being bold, reasoning, and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Uh, Paul has a lot to say about boldness. In the, in the book of Ephesians, at the end of Ephesians, it talks about the armor of God and putting on the full armor of God. And at the end of that little discussion about the armor of God, it says, uh, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and for me also, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He tells the Ephesians, pray for me. This isn't written at this time. This is written later. He tells the Ephesians, you knew what it was like for me to be bold. You knew and you saw me being bold. Now pray that I'll continue to have that same boldness. And uh, it's, it's mentioned many times in the New Testament, but I believe that that's a theme. If you look at it in Acts, I think it's mentioned 11 times boldness. Um, what was the result of Paul's boldness? Well, verse 9 says, But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, your boldness in the gospel will very well result in people being stubborn and unbelieving. That doesn't mean you were wrong, and that doesn't mean you were unfaithful. Uh, that means you're like the, the Apostle Paul. That was the result of his boldness and persuading. Do not be discouraged by that. However, what Paul did, he didn't, he didn't cry over it. He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. You see this picture of Paul saying, okay, this isn't working. I'm going to take it over here. I'm going to be in this hall. This hall of Tyrannus was probably a, 
a hall either owned by a guy named Tyrannus or he was the main teacher of that hall at Ephesus. And uh, he let Paul use it and basically set up a little bit of a seminary. Uh, he, re- he was teaching them and he was reasoning them daily. So much so, it doesn't say that he left, but that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. We can only take that to mean either these men and these people that he was training were going into all of Asia and everybody was in- ended up hearing because of that ministry, or that these people were coming through. There was a lot of people coming through Ephesus, right? And maybe some of those people took that message. Either way, this is a little bit of a seminary and a, a, good, a, a good support for having seminaries in the world. But Paul was bold. Number one purpose, God's purposes should be our purposes boldly. That's the way we witness. Number three, frauds. Don't do that. Frauds. Don't do that. If this goes into the next section, it talks about the sons of Sceva, which is this weird thing where these people were trying to cast out demons in the name of Paul and Jesus, but they, didn't, they weren't true believers, right? They had no power. So what happened? Well, it didn't work. The demon goes, I, I know Jesus. I know Paul, but I don't know you. Who, are, who in the world are you? And it ends up looking really bad for those, those uh, sons of Sceva who were doing this. Well, I, I think this is also a picture uh, of what is the ultimate uh, reality for those who are frauds. The ultimate reality of those who are frauds. They may seem like in this world to uh, succeed for a little while. Uh, they might be like a Joel Osteen who, who seems to have a following. But the end of those people, the end of the frauds, will be destruction. And yet God's going to accomplish his purposes. Verse um, 17, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. God's going to accomplish his purposes. He's doing it over and over again. And also, many of those who were new believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic, magic arts, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I love those summary statements. So the word of the Lord, it's like, he's got a little bit different phrase every time, but the word of the Lord is just another way of saying the gospel, right? It's another way of saying God's kingdom. It's another way of saying God's people and God's church is going to continue to increase and prevail mightily. I don't know if anybody else did this, but I looked up what, how much was 50,000 pieces of silver, and about a, one piece of silver would be about a day's wage for a, a laborer. So I tried to put that into today's terms, and it came up to over $4.5 million dollars. So these people were, were practicing some sort of magic arts, and uh, they brought them and, and burned them up to the tune of over $4.5 million in today's, in today's money. That's obviously a representation of true repentance, right? When, we, when people come to faith in the gospel, they're like Zacchaeus, and they're like these people who come with true repentance. That means the old way is gone, and the new way has come, and they are going to follow the Lord and, and put away the old practices, even to the tune of, of much personal cost. Okay, we're moving. Purpose, boldly, frauds, don't do that. Persecution. Persecution's my next word. And persecution's not worth comparing to glory. Persecution is not worth comparing to glory. This next section at Ephesus we see this, um, this riot, this disturbance. It says in verse 23, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. 
right? So no li- I like the way he, Luke writes, oh, there's no little disturbance. In other words, there's big, huge disturbance. Uh, big problems here. Well, it ends up actually working out okay for the disciples and for, for Paul, right? Because the town clerk quiets the people and he's going, I'm, I'm going to be in trouble, we're going to be in trouble with Rome. Hey, let's just get over it. Take your problems to where you should actually take your problems and let's disperse with this thing. Okay? And, and I believe that part of the reason that this story, that you know, Luke's giving us these stories, doesn't tell us every single thing that happens at Ephesus. Why is this story in here? And I believe one of those reasons is that, and to just come out and say it, that I believe that it's God's design that the spread of the church would happen through persecution. Persecution was not an accident. This persecution and opposition um, didn't just happen. It was actually part of God's design. Listen in John 12, 23 through 26. This is probably familiar to you. John 12, write that verse down, 23 through 26. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm, I'm working on getting rid of uh, some pneumonia, and it's not going very well. <coughs> Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In other words, I'm going to, to be crucified and rise again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life, or whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am. There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father, the father will honor him. I believe that this is part of God's design, and he's, he's using this story to say there was opposition and persecution. These people hated Paul, and they hated the gospel, and they hated what it was doing. Actually, it was really co- connected to the economics, right? <laughs> These people were losing money. False religion and economics almost always goes hand in hand. You'll see that, false religion and economics. Actually, a lot of times they prey on the poor. You'll see Catholic, the Catholic Church, you'll see Mormons, and you'll see other false religions prey on the people who don't have much money, and, and they're supposed to give them money. That is not the way in Christianity. However, this is persecution against Paul, and it's God's design, and he uses it to spread the church. I mean, even in verse, chapter 20, verse 1, after the uproar ceases, ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them. There, there was a way in which they were encouraged even from that. If you read, we're, we're coming up on a time where Paul's going to face a lot of opposition and persecution, so I'm not spending too much time on it. It's come, it's, it we're going to hit it over and over again in the coming weeks. So you're going to hit it over and over again in the coming weeks. It's actually God's design. And I want to encourage you, uh, there is a lot in Scripture about suffering. And I want to encourage you and ask you, do you have a robust understanding of the biblical teaching on suffering. If I asked you right now, how do you train your children to be persecuted when they uh, go to get a job and they don't get the job because they didn't, they weren't a believer, they're a believer, so they didn't get this job. Um, There's likely a time in your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren's time where they'll face imprisonment. They'll face more persecution, even more physically than than we do. And and this is hard for me because I've never faced physical persecution. My life's been really easy. My persecution's been in the form of mockery and making fun of me and maybe passed over a, a job role or two because of it. But in reality, my life's been pretty easy. But that's why I'm trying to tell you what some of these other biblical people are saying. Jesus and Paul. Paul says in Second Timothy 3.12 that indeed all who desire to live a godly life 
in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.13, to rejoice that we get to share Christ's sufferings. You know that Jesus says uh, to rejoice when you are persecuted for my sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And actually, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed, happy are you if that's you. We need to have a robust view of suffering so that when it comes to us or when it comes to those that we love, they're already ready for it. There's not an in-the-moment opportunity for them to, um, to fear and a moment for them to uh, shrink back as it, talked, as it talked about Paul not doing, right? Let's be ready for the suffering and the persecution and the opposition before it comes. So study your Bibles. Let's, let's know off the top of our heads what, how does God use suffering? Why is there suffering? Why is there persecution? Why is there opposition to the gospel? You're the mothers, you're the grandmothers of the future church and the pastors and the missionaries. So help them, help us see what the Bible says about this. One way that I found really helpful and I would commend to you is reading good Christian biography. Read To the Golden Shore about Adoniram Judson. It's fantastic. You will be motivated. If you, uh, there's, there's many good biographies. If, if you don't love biographies, one thing I love to do is listen. And, and John Piper has got these autobiographical sermons. And he takes the life of Adoniram Judson or Charles Spurgeon or William Tyndale or William Carey. And he, he tells you kind of the biographical sketch of their life as, as he's teaching you about um, the theological themes of their life and how the God worked through them. They're, they're really, really good. I would commend those to you. Okay, we've got a couple more to get through here. So persecution, it's not worth comparing to the glory now, that comes from, that, that reference, not worth comparing to the glory, comes from Romans 8.18. Romans 8.18, I'm going to look it up so I don't misquote it. But this is Paul. Wrote, the book of Romans was written on this missionary journey. And one of the things Paul said was, I, Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be re- revealed to us. Sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. There was a lot of theology underpinning Paul. And we're not talking about it all today because the next couple of weeks we're talking about First, Second Corinthians and Romans and all this uh, really good theology that he's underpinning all that's happening in, this, in these two chapters. So, all that to say, glory, or persecution, it's not worth comparing to the glory. Let's remember that. And... On the heels of that, what, what's the next kind of picture that we see in Acts 20? Well, the beginning of Acts 20, it's talking about where he's going and the people that he's brought with him. Uh, he's got a whole bunch of, a bunch of people from Berea and Thessalonica and Derby and Asia. And uh, these people likely were just uh, practical more than anything else from what my reading. But they were bringing a collection to Jerusalem. And back in those days, they didn't have dollar bills and they didn't have plastic. They had coins, heavy coins. And so these people were likely helping him literally carry this, this offering and this contribution to the church in Jerusalem, uh, and, and as well as providing some extra safety. So there's numbers. They're traveling these roads and, and, and uh, that provided some safety as well as the practicality of carrying those funds. But now we get to Troas, and in verse 7, we've got this story that starts about Eutychus, and uh, this is wonderful. And 
I should talk to Pastor Brian about it sometimes, but Pastor Brian's never spoken until midnight as far as I know. That's, that's pretty late. That's how late Paul was speaking when Eutychus fell asleep and fell out of the window. I would likely fall asleep myself. Eutychus was probably young, between 7 and 14 years old. And uh, because Luke was a doctor, we really think that in verse 10, 9 where it says he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead, he really was dead. And then in verse 10, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, don't, don't be alarmed for his life is in him. Yeah, his life is in him because I, Paul, through the Holy Spirit and Jesus have raised him back to life. It is a picture of resurrection. That's my next word for us, resurrection. Resurrection is the anchor of our faith. You see this theme of resurrection being brought up again and again and again and again in Acts. And not only Acts, but in the epistles and the rest of the New Testament. Uh, and, and it's really the anchor of our faith. And so my question to you is, do you believe God can cause people to be raised from the dead? I was just telling my sons this week that, boys, you know that that's why we meet on Sundays. That's why a church happens on Sundays. We, we celebrate the resurrection every single Sunday. I hope uh, you all take some moment of that Sunday morning worship and remember the resurrection every single Sunday. That's why we're there, because Jesus isn't dead. He rose from the dead. He is a, uh, he's our Savior who's alive and well. And not only that, that is the anchor and the underpinning of our faith. If he stayed dead, can, what's the hope that we have resurrection? From the very beginning, even Abraham believed that Isaac could be resurrected. This is the story of the people of faith, that we believe that resurrection is possible and will occur. In verse uh, 12, it said, after, 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 when this happens, it says, and they took the youth away alive, and they were not a little comforted. We need to be comforted. Let, let yourself be comforted by this. This, in, this world is not the end. There is a resurrection from the dead, and God is... Uh, Luke has given us this picture of that to remind us resurrection is the anchor of our faith. So here's my plug for memorization. And I believe you're memorizing Ephesians 1. Okay, so I'm memorizing this with you with my boys, and we, mem- we, we, re- we rehearse it every single morning together on our way to school. And as I thought about the resurrection, the first thing that popped in my head is what I'm memorizing. And at the end of Ephesians 1, he's talking about this prayer, right? And, and how he's He's praying for them, and, he, and it says that he, he prays for them to know the hope to which they've been called, and what are the glorious riches of the inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And he doesn't stop there. He says, what's that power? According to his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. My mind immediately went there. I know yours did too because you're memorizing that. But when you memorize, you internalize this, and, and the resurrection can be an anchor for your faith. You can think about, and I've been trying to get my arms around this, and I don't have them there yet. Maybe I'll, I'll get Pastor Brian to help explain this to me. But somehow this power that worked this great might of raising Jesus from the dead, not only that, but seating him in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, is also at work toward those who believe. That's what, he, that's what Paul is reminding the Ephesians about when he writes to them. You know, he's probably already told this to them, right? He's just reminding them. Hey, let, let me remind you about the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead, and that's the power that's at work towards us. Okay. Life. 
Then we've, life, it's not about you. That's my next word, life, it's not about you. And we've got this uh, long speech, it's Paul's longest speech, I believe, to believers, and it's to the Ephesian elders. Uh, In verse 16 of chapter 20, it says, For Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, But then in verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. I don't think it wasn't that he didn't want to see the people of Ephesus. He was just trying to get to Jerusalem. And if you're on a boat in those days, you don't know exactly when that boat's going to leave. So you've got to stay with that boat. But he wanted to see those, those people, right? So then you've got this long passage of him speaking to the Ephesian elders. And I asked Katie if I could have an additional hour so we could go through this in detail. She said, sure. So here we go. Maybe not. I wish. Uh, let, me, let me just point out a couple things. You see in verse 22, let's read uh, that together. We're in Acts chapter 20, and he's, he's talking to these elders, these leaders. He talks about his example, and in humility he lived with them. He didn't shrink back from declaring, and what was he declaring? He was declaring the true gospel. It says it very clearly in verse 21, testifying both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus. Verse 22, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Well, he knows a little bit, except, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Okay. This sounds a lot like in Philippians where he says to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? He doesn't count his life as precious or value, of any value to himself. Um, and and I, I was trying to think about how could he say that? What would it look like to be able to, to say that? And I thought, oh, actually, it's already what I read in John 12. It's, it's exactly what it means to be a believer. We, we, we have to count the cost when we become believers and say that, we're willing to give up our lives and live for King Jesus instead of ourselves. Um, it's, it's the life of a regular Christian. It's what we all signed up for. We're, we're committed to li- living for Jesus. If we, if we love our life in this world, we're going to lose it. But if we're willing to hate our life here, if we're willing to count our life as not precious or of any value, that's where we're going to find true life doesn't always feel like that, and I acknowledge that. And I think that's why we need to remind ourselves of it often. Remind yourself of this. If you suffer in this life, if, if you don't have the circumstances that you want, if you have others reviling you or persecuting you if, you, if you don't have the status or the prestige or the appreciation or the material possessions or the life that you want, this is helpful. It speaks even to our relationships. Maybe your relationships aren't the way that you want with context here is especially with persecution and suffering. He knows he's about to go ahead into suffering, into persecution, and imprisonment and affliction. And what does he say? It's not about me. It's not about me. And actually, my life isn't precious to me. But what is precious to him? There's always this, this two sides. His life wasn't precious, but something was very precious to him. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. 
See, his life, it wasn't about him, but it was about God, right? So what's the ministry that God's given you? Can you say with Paul? Or can the people around you describe you? Yeah, Dan, he doesn't count his life as precious. He doesn't value his own life. But what Dan does value, Dan values this ministry he's received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, Paul's ministry was very specific, and he was taking this to the Gentiles, right? And he was taking it to new places and planting churches and encouraging those churches. We've all been given the task and the ministry of making disciples. But some of you all have been given... We weren't all given the ministry to do that in Turkey and in Greece and in Rome. So what's your ministry? What's your role? And can that be said of you? That, that you exist, that your life isn't precious to yourself, but it's to, to be a, maybe it's to be a wife. And, and that's part of the role and the God-given responsibility and calling and ministry that you've been given. Or maybe, maybe it's to be a mom or a grandma. Or maybe it's to be a worker. Maybe you've got a job, and your ministry is to do your job to the glory of God. Maybe you're a part of Fisherville Baptist Church, and part of your ministry is to love and care for and encourage the believers here. I'm preaching to the choir because I know you all, I'm looking out here and you all do this. So thank you very much for fulfilling your callings here and for encouraging this church. Keep it up. Excel still more. Don't fear the suffering that's coming. It's not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. We can think about that when we're, we're faced with that. Paul was actually faced with that. He had plenty of time to think about it. He was in Ephesus for three years and then he went on the rest of his journey here. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up with, finally, the church. It's like a family. He gets to the end. Let's, we're just going to kind of read through the rest of this. Verse 25 of chapter 20. And now behold, I, I know that none of you, you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the, kingdom of, proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is his goodbye address. You're not going to see me again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. There's a whole sermon there, right? Can you say to people, I, I'm, I'm innocent of your blood because I've told you what God says. That's what he's saying. Hey, I'm not going to see you again, but look, I've told you everything you need to know to, be, to believe, to repent, and to follow him. Pay careful attention to yourselves. This is what he tells the leaders to do and the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Let's be careful we're not following people speaking twisted things. We know that that is very possible, and even here at Fisherville. Okay, verse 31. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I didn't cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend to you, he's leaving them, I'm not going to be with you, Jesus isn't still on earth, but verse 32, and I commend to you God and to the word of his grace. That's what's able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's why we're thankful that Pastor Brian preaches every single week. He believes that the power is in the word, and that's what we've been given to carry on the task. Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the, Lord, the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
I hope you were very encouraged by the by that section. I would I, I come back to it often when I think um, about Paul and and what he was wanting to communicate to the Ephesian elders. Verse thirty six, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, and being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. My last word as I trace this was the church. It's like a family. The church, it's like a family. They were weeping because they wouldn't see him again, right? Um, I don't know that I've ever seen grown men hug and kiss in that same exact way. It would be interesting in our culture. But we know what it's like to, to miss people, and we know what it's like to say goodbye. And that's right for it to hurt. That's right for, it, for us to weep and to grieve because we're not going to see them again. Um, but the reason that that was the case was because they were close. They had developed camaraderie. They had been in ministry together. They had prayed together. They had uh, lived together for years. And um, my encouragement to you is to get to know the people in this church so that when, if they were to leave, there would be people that they leave this church, you know you're going to be weeping because they're leaving. They're leaving for a good cause maybe, but it's sad and it's hard. And that's what it's like when you're close, uh, when people leave. One way that you can do that, if you don't know how to get closer to people and maybe you're, you're trying to get to know folks, we have summer mission trips. If you go on a summer mission trip, that is one of the best ways to get to know other people and serve alongside them. You can go with Laura Bevel and you will, not, you will know Laura Bevel closer than, you've, than you have in the past and it will be worth it. And, uh, and then if Laura Bevel had to, had to move on from our church, there would be much weeping. Anyway, my, you, you know my point. I hope this encourages you. Uh, I would encur- I, I'm very convicted because I can be somebody who doesn't always apply everything I learn. So I, I know Katie says this regularly, but let's be people who aren't puffed up by knowledge, who aren't just knowers of the word, but our doers of the word and, and live out what God has taught us through his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word and the Apostle Paul. And I, I thank you that he didn't count his, wife, his, his, his life as precious to himself, but rather his ministry was precious. And his service to you is what he cared about. And, I, and Father, I, I pray that you would give us renewed hope in your resurrection, renewed hope in who you are and your Holy Spirit, that we can live out and be faithful to what you've called us to. We pray this only in your son's name. Amen. It's possible.